Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome everyone to Rock M Nation podcast. This is a brand new episode of Dive Cuts. Uh, after a two-week hiatus, um, we're back for season five, episode twenty-nine. I am your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, from the, the great plains of Indiana, uh, Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? Uh, I'm fine. I don't think we're going to get to forty names in the portal, and that makes me sad because I thought we'd get there. I thought we'd get to forty names on the contact tracker, and it doesn't look we're going to get there right now, Sam. No. Looks like we're gonna come up three short, three short. I feel like th- things things definitely kind of petered out there uh, a little bit. Um, we did have another uh, contact made today, but yeah, that tracker was was uh, fast and heavy there for a while. We stopped at thirty three in the con- in the contact tracker for Division One. Uh, what are we at now? We're at two for prep prospects and two. Yeah, there was a there was a dude, the D two guy. Yeah, yeah. Who I, I think he he cut his list. And it was a lot of more kind of mid to low majors. So that was clearly like an initial contact, and probably not much else. Yep. But we're at thirty seven or thirty eight names. Who knows? Maybe uh maybe Antoine Davis goes in the portal tomorrow, and all hell breaks loose. So that's your boy, your boy, Detroit Mercy. Tell you what, twenty four point six points per game a night. And on 36% usage, but still putting up 108 offensively for an offensive rating. That's efficient buckets, man. <laughs> as as the kids say, he a bucket. Just handing them out like Pez. Just buckets galore with Antoine Davis. I watched that guy play as a freshman, and he handed out like 28 points in a non-con game to like a top 25 Butler team. That guy... Is just wired to score. So if he goes in the portal, that that the waters is going to be deep from the jump. But man, I would I would still place a call because Antoine can score. We know he we know that is not in doubt for him. 
but uh yeah hope the overall pace of portaling seems to have eased up a little bit i don't know if we're gonna get to 1600 names but um it's still a, a crowded field this year again there's a lot going on in the transfer portal and what's interesting um you know clearly the uh yeah, the, the new coaching staff is not entirely in place. I think we all have a pretty good idea of maybe where some things are headed, but uh, the the approach seems to be a little different than it has the last few years. So we have a, a new coach and a new approach to the portal. Uh, Missouri's been a lot more aggressive, at least as far as making initial contact. They were also pretty aggressive in getting guys on campus. Um, and I, I think that speaks to... Uh, at the very least, like, you know, Dennis Gates being um, pretty assertive and and trying to sort of rebuild and remake uh, this roster for next year so they can maybe start taking a step forward. Um, it's been a little more than two weeks since we last recorded. Uh, we're actually doing this Wednesday, April 13th. Um, I believe last time we recorded was on a Monday, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so two and a half weeks ago, not quite. Two and a half weeks, but close. Uh, and since then, um, Dennis Gates has what I think may have been the most uh, impressive slash impactful assistant coaching hire, um, you know, maybe in all of, of college basketball as, as far as like, you know, the, the new coaches are hired. He hired a Charlton uh, C.Y. Young. Um, so I'm believing that the CY part is because that's his first and last initials. And so everybody calls him CY. Um, but yeah, Charlton Young, long-term assistant coach at, uh, at Florida state. Uh, he's, he's been around the, uh, the block on some other stops, uh, among them in the SEC. He was at Auburn. Um, he was the head coach at Georgia Southern. Um, where he is the Hall of Fame basketball player there. Uh, Noted, high-level recruiter, Matt. What are your thoughts on CY being added to the staff? Uh, They they did not have a problem breaking the bank to get him, uh, which I think that was sort of the question I had, was what were they going to do as far as willing to pay up and go, uh, you know, into the market at this point? You know, we've seen guys where you're – associate head coaches where it's not uncommon for it to be $500,000. And that's kind of where I thought the market might be. They went to six over three. So there was clearly a commitment there. Um, I also, you know, think if it wasn't Dennis Gates, I don't think this would have been an opportunity that young would have taken. I think that that mattered. I, I do agree that there are probably other opportunities he had to leave Florida state, but if it's Dennis Gates calling and there's an opportunity here to have an associate head, head coach title and to get that kind of top end of the market pay you do it um i am looking at his all-time commits on 247 and um it's very good uh his top commits all time as a recruiter are mr thaddeus young (laughs) is the top one so that that, that's pretty good matt cleveland at florida i believe at the time thad young was like the number one or number two player in the class yeah yeah he was the lead recruiter for thad young back at georgia tech and that was back in 2005 for all you youngins. Um, Matt Cleveland, a guy that Missouri actually offered. Uh, Matt Cleveland played on this year's roster. He was a 2020 kid. Patrick Williams, that name is probably familiar to folks. MJ Walker. Um, so the, basically the big 
you know, the kind of showpieces for the last couple of years on Florida State staff. He's been the lead recruiter there for those guys. You know, recruited Raekwon Gary, Devin Vassell, you know, guys that are, are are pretty big names for Florida State and have been, you know, really important in that program, sort of taking the next step under Leonard Hamilton. So a uh, guy rooted kind of in the Southeast, too. Like I said, he's been in Georgia, been in Florida. And obviously you look at where the initial offers are. We are not going to talk about the 23 and 24 offers that went out. We're just trying to figure out who's going to be on the team next year. But um, the map and see why overlap a lot on uh, those uh, offers that went out there. Um, So clearly his influence is being felt there as he's trying to reestablish some of those relationships. Um, The only one that maybe isn't is Xavier Booker out of Indianapolis, but everything else, um, the 24 offers are all out of the Southeast. The one that is from Tennessee plays for uh, AOT, which is an Atlanta based program. And then it's Florida, California and Indianapolis in the 23 group. So uh, it's a good pickup. You know, we're going to see, you know, what his influence is on the floor. But, you know, we talked about, you know, if you were going to you know try and bring your weight to bear on the recruiting trail, you need to go get a guy who's who's proven himself. And they certainly did that with CY. So we'll, we'll see what the rest of the staff looks like. But at a minimum, you know, Dennis seems to have hit the brief there. And there are a lot of names thrown around. But um, Charlton Young is definitely not uh, settling when it comes to, you know, appointing an associate head coach and you know fitting the needs for what the staff is going to require moving forward. Yeah, and I mean, I would say that of the names that uh, that were kind of mentioned earlier, you know, I I can't remember if we actually talked about it on the podcast, but I know for a while there was some talk that you know he might be reaching out to somebody like you know Jarence Howard. Um, which I think we actually talked about uh, Howard and, and and sort of his background and all that kind of stuff. Um, this is as good, if not a better hire, in my opinion. Um, you know, CY has basically proven uh, that he can get players and uh, and and develop guys that turn into pros, um, and he's also really familiar. With Dennis Gates, and I like, I think that that's one of the things that, you know, even though clearly, like a lot of these guys know each other, a lot of you know guys like Howard and Gates, uh, clearly, and- yeah, like they're familiar with each other, you know. But Gates as a professional, and Cy as a professional, are very very familiar with each other, and and work together for six years. I think like that's that's an important part. Um, We've talked extensively about the finances and and that part of it, and to me, like I think this is a a big deal. It shows a serious, and finally shows a serious commitment. Um, this is up there with what know, Kentucky from, will would pay for Kentucky or Alabama or, or anybody else in the SEC would pay for an assistant for a lead assistant. It's right. It's top of the market. There, there, there's no couching that. They they went and they paid, and you know. We we've critiqued it. We've you know pointed it out. So we got to give credit where it's obviously due. They opened the checkbook up, and 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 they and they were comfortable giving this deal out. And it's it, it is more than competitive where the market is. <laughs> it is like, and it's it's refreshing to see. Really, like it's one of those things. Like I feel like we've been we've been talking and and really hammering the Mizzou administration for so long about you know just like kind of having these tight purse strings and. 
Uh, and, you know, even at the time that, you know, everybody was talking big about them handing out this money, uh, you know, to Michael Porter Sr. to get, you know, the Porters there. Like, even at the time they gave him that contract, that was a that was okay. It like, was, it was okay money. It was like second assistant money. Yeah. Like, it wasn't... <laughs> it's not CY money. Um, and, and, like, that's sort of the thing is you see a lot of your peers really upping their game. And now Missouri has basically put themselves... I think on on a on a par with their top three assistants uh, in that pool uh, to being in, in like the same ballpark as as Arkansas and, and Alabama, and that's going to give you a much better shot um, when you're talking about the kind of the kind of guys that earn that money are the kind of guys that get players. Um, and then you know the next segment is is likely going to you know be the the NIL stuff and getting that up to par and making sure that. You know, the guys that are able to get on campus um, uh, are able to sort of cash in on, on their image and, uh, and and be competitive from that aspect. But they could take it, and but that's going to take a little bit of time. That That's still sort of, you know, in the works. You know, I think, you know, Lawrence you know, Bowers is still trying to do some work on that front, and that may take a little bit of time there. But this is, this is obviously a, a positive first step. You know, we'll see what the rest of the staff looks like. There are some guys, I think, that are – there's a name that, you know, is in play, obviously, for the second assistant spot right now that I think almost anybody, you know, who follows the program is pretty familiar with right now. There's some did, off – Did we talk about it? Did we talk about him on the podcast? No, I don't I think, think we, we did, did, but I think it's easy enough now because it's all floating around there, and, you know, we'll see when – there's enough smoke around here, and we've heard from enough different people and different that are independent of one another to to sort of feel like we could say that like the name right now is Kyle Smith Peters out of um, Johnny Logan college. He's been a head coach there for about a decade. Um, He grew up around uh, where Logan college is, which is in Southern South central Illinois is probably the best way to say it. Um, Played at uh, SIU Carbondale, went and spent a year on Paul Lusk's staff and then went back and got the job. His dad, um, was a high school coach around there, so his family's got ties in that region. But uh, he's really sort of elevated Logan over the last decade. He's had some really, really good guys uh, pass through. Yeah, I will, I will say uh, just – so Illinois, like junior colleges, has never been known for for having elite talent. And as recently <laughs> as uh, when Kim Anderson – we even brought this up when Kim Anderson was adding – Martavin Payne um, and who and yeah Payne and 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 Russell yeah. Woods, and I was saying you know like we're, you can recruit JUCO guys different levels, um, but getting JUCO guys out of Illinois is is not a great prospect if you want to compete in the SEC. It's not Florida. It's not Texas. Or anything. that has changed at Johnny Logan. Yeah, yeah they've, they've under Kyle Smith Peters. Yeah, yeah, uh, they had. Jay Scrub, they've had a guy, Sincere Parker, who is going to be going to SLU this year. They had, um, I think, who else they've had? They, Mario McKinney stopped over and did a year there. Um, obviously, the name that everyone's going to talk about right now is Sean East. Uh, Jamarian Sharp out of Western Kentucky, uh, it, who is, I think, probably the second best rim protector behind Walker Kessler, passed through there. So there's usually one to two. Uh, I think I may have mentioned Jay Scrub already, who was a Louisville commit who went to the NBA draft. They've 
Maybe you don't have quite the depth still of some of the Florida JUCOs, but the top end of the rosters that John A. Logan are as competitive as any in the country. And yeah. Smith-Peters has done that. He's also done a really nice job of sort of striking a balance between bringing in those kinds of guys. Like Mario McKinney and Sean East are D1 guys who transferred down to kind of reboot. Then there are guys who are uh, who would traditionally be non-qualifiers, maybe out of Chicago, who have come down and done you know their JUCO sort of work there to get stuff in order. But he's also kind of reached around the country and become a good and been able to draw some talent in. Well, also still like there's still like you look on the roster, there's still some Southern Illinois kids that are coming in to you know get on that roster. So he's found kind of a way to blend everything. Um, if you talk to people you know who follow JUCO more than we do, they rave about him. You know, they talk about, you know, how this guy runs a program in a way and structures his practice, structures his program in a way that's reminiscent of a low major to a mid-major coach, so a Division One level coach. Um, guys are prepared. They're getting film work. They're getting on-court skill work that's comparable to what they might see at a D1 program. So that's different. You know, as, as you said, JUCO is not, ju- is not the same everywhere, but this – the feedback I've gotten is that this guy is more than ready to like make the jump and contribute at a high major level. And you know, we can talk about whether how much how big this will be, but I, I think having a person with JUCO experience matters, especially now where we're seeing still kind of the ramifications of guys with COVID years. And that's forcing some high school kids to go into the JUCO ranks. And a lot of people now are turning to the portal. And sort of overlooking JUCO. So you may have some kids that may have otherwise, you know, found a home in D1. There's not a slot for them. They've gone to JUCO. They've gotten better in their two years. They've really developed. But nobody's looking at JUCO. They're all looking at the portal. You can find some guys who I think are really, really good and can uh, and can upgrade your roster or can fill some rotational spots for you that you might not have in the past. So I think having a guy who understands that market really, really well. Dennis Gates does, but having Kyle Smith-Peters on this on this staff, you know, if that's finalized, w- would also be a, a major, you know, major addition, I think, to and give the staff a little bit of a, of a way to sort of attack a market inefficiency right now in recruiting. Well, I think, you know, another sort of, you know, aspect of that is, you know, with all these COVID years, and, and one of the things that you and I have sort of talked about as far as, you know, development of players, you know, if you're a top 50 guy, it's like, it's one thing, like you're, you're top 25, whatever, you're, you're going to be a good college basketball player. But once you start getting down those rankings, you know, and I know that everybody likes, oh, like he was a four star. It's like, well, not all four stars are built the same. Like, you know, Aiden Shaw has a lot different physical attributes and, and why we think he's going to be a successful college basketball player you know, is, is very different than someone who... Torrance Watson you know, and like, Aiden Shaw would both be four-star players. And very, right, very, very, you know, very different. And, you know, and, and Watson was a guy who, um, you know, like just developed differently than than people sort of expected. And I think like when you talk about like, and this is also why the transfer portal is so prevalent, is, is you know, it's, it's become... Uh, so much different as far as building your rosters, which has allowed more flexibility players going around. But as guys develop, and maybe there is a guy who is ranked 
you know, 400 something and he goes to Juco and develops, you know, and you have a guy in your roster who is ranked, you know, 112th doesn't develop, um, you know, through, through no faults of your own, like, you know, cause sometimes that just happens. Um, you know, I think Drew Smith is another example of a guy who is really like not really rated. Now he's, he's like a fixture in the G league and is, you know, had a couple drinks with the team that I think the heat have the yeah. one seed, don't they? No. So, I mean, I think they're the two or the three, but, um, uh, you know, but still a top three seed in, yeah. the, in the East. So, you know, my point is basically that, that a, as we've talked about with the, with development and how players develop, especially in the back ends of those rankings, um, you know, I do think having somebody who uh, has not just the ability to be resourceful uh, the way that you have to be in junior college, but uh, also somebody who has the relationships all through, um, you know, all through really the, the you know, the country and, and junior colleges. Sorry, I just got a, uh, a, a tweet prompt here, but it's because Dylan Penn retweeted somebody that was committing. Uh, for, Tweet notifications are on, everybody. That's why Portland. We're, <laughs> we're Portland. So yeah, yeah. The, I think that's that's really the 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 best way to think of it is, you know, Dennis Gates is highly respected at that level. Now he's got another guy there, so that realistically, now you're giving yourself more. You're giving yourself access to markets, and that matters. But also your ability to to discern quality in those markets matters. Aside from just looking at the JUCO top 100 and being like, "Well, this guy's rated pretty highly." Having the ability to make calls and know how to evaluate guys in that setting matters. And Missouri would have two of those on staff, and so you can almost imagine see why as your guy who's going to go out and you know hunt top 50 talent. And that's not to say Kyle Smith beers couldn't do it, but now you've got a guy who can sort of work in the margins and find undervalued guys and bring those into the mix. And I think that having both those skill sets is incredibly important on, on a staff here. Now we'll see what they would do with the third spot. Again, we have to see if Smith beers is finalized, but there's enough smoke to at least talk about what he could mean on a staff if he's, if he's hired here. So, uh, The other things that have happened, because um, I think we 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 feel like we know that Smith Peters is going to be the second assistant, or at least you know one of the three assistants. Uh, the the third position we're still kind of unclear about. We we know that Ryan Sharbaugh is uh, going to be on the staff in some capacity, uh, and um, is it Ryan Klein? Matt Klein. Matt Klein. Ryan Sharbaugh. Um, Matt Klein, uh, also going to be on staff in some capacity, um, still unknown, Mm -hmm. right? Right. So realistically, those guys could both be doing the job of third assistant. So it's entirely possible Dennis knows who his his three assistants are. He's just got like five people working those three jobs right now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) so, uh, 
with that said, like since our last podcast, uh, we we have had some commitments and some. Uh, so Aiden Shaw is probably the the headliner there. Uh, decided to come back on board. Apparently, Ian Dennis Gates got along, uh, and they're in their conversations. Still sees himself as a good fit at Missouri. I think it helps that his, uh, you know, his, is it both his parents were Mizzou grads? Yeah, so I think that helps. Uh, it's close to home. Um, he felt comfortable on campus, and 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 realistically, like he kind of fits, you know, that that Florida State model of being a really really great athlete, uh, and and he's going to be a monster on defense here uh, very soon. Um, any thought? I feel like we've we've Aiden shot out a little bit. So I actually think he's a better fit for what Dennis Gates wants to do than what Gonzo Martin wanted to do. I, I think that they're like I'm working to try and get a better sense for how much of Cleveland State's game system is going to translate. But you know, there's been enough kind of talk with people that I get the sense that like chunks of it are going to carry over, and if that's the case, Aiden Shaw's a existing skill sets going to fit in really, really well with what, you know, they want to do at both ends of the floor here. So I, I think that that that's also sort of heartening is that you're not going to be asking like, okay, how can, you know, Aiden Shaw, you know, fit and grow into what Zoe wants to do when it seems like there's a more natural sort of uh, s- system for him to sort of integrate into. So I believe when we last podcast, we had, uh, DeAndre Golston was committed. Yeah. Mohamed um, Diarra was committed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, since then, there have been uh, Trey Gamillion and Noah Carter also added to the roster for next year. Uh, Gamillion is uh, a fantastic name. <laughs> uh, he's also got a phenomenal NIL setup. Uh, his t-shirts basically say G and then it's like, you know, a bunch of zeros to make it say go million. Um, really creative. And he also has a tattoo like that. Super cool. Um, but Trey was sort of a do everything, big time defensive player, uh, opportunistic shot maker, um, while at Cleveland state. So, uh, anything you want to say about go million? Uh, just working on a piece about, you know, how Cleveland state actually played basketball and spoke to a couple of horizon league coaches who just said, you know, if you're looking for a guy who kind of epitomizes what Dennis Gates, culture is what his teams are about. Just watch Trey Gamillion play basketball like that. That guy is the kind of soul and, you know, incarnated of this team, you know, and I think that there's a lot to be said for that. You know, he's a guy who, if you watch Cleveland State play, you know, if a teammate makes a mistake or if there's something that happens on the floor, that guy is relentlessly positive. He's consistently trying to pick guys up. You know, you don't ever see negative body language out of him. He's constantly sort of, I think, trying to move guys on, trying to keep guys positive, trying to keep some optimism in there. Functionally, he is a do-everything type of guy. You know, I think the one thing, if you watch Cleveland State enough, you know, People talk about they, you know, sort of hate the way modern basketball, you know, is just all pick and rolls now and jumpers. That isn't Cleveland State. Cleveland State, you know, is incorporates motion stuff. They incorporate, you know, John some stuff from John Beeline's offense, the Princeton offense, 
you know, they will, it'll look a lot like what we saw with Colorado State and Nico Medved. So it's guys that pass, cut. You have to be able to read action. You have to be able to read defenders. You have to be able to initiate offense. Like you can watch a Cleveland State game and you will see Trey Gamillion try and score on a run out after they get a deflection defensively. You'll see him, you know, crab dribble a smaller guard into the post, you know, play out of a, you know, uh, you know, a bully ball situation there. You know, they will, you know, run elbow action. He will come off, you know, a stagger and take a handoff and tack the rim. If somebody else is doing that, he will be opportunistic and cut baseline. He can spot up a little bit. So there's not like a real, you know, identifiable like niche that he fits into. He does a little bit of everything. And I think the bigger deal is he's not big like and long in the traditional sense. You know, he's a, he's got a pretty average frame, and but he's sturdily built. You know, he guards his ass off. He competes every defensive possession. And the one thing I think if you look at how Cleveland State's guards are, those guys are basically rocked up. They're all, you know, strong, sturdy. You know, they can guard one to four. They can switch everything. They can hang in if you're going to, you know, try and bully ball them a little bit until at least that help rotates. They can switch. You know, sometimes they may not have as much foot speed and lateral agility, but they will compete. They're going to play good defense. They're going to be, they're going to understand where they need to be, what help duties they have, and they can basically play one to four. So I think the ceiling on Gamillion may not be where some people want it to be, but if you're looking for a guy who's going to come in and kind of be a, you know, someone who can translate, you know, Dennis Gates's culture and his system, you know, and do some diverse things for you at both ends of the floor. I think that's sort of what Gamillion should be viewed as. He's, he's that kind of piece where he's a little bit of a culture guy, a little bit of a translator, and he's going to bring some diversity to what Missouri wants to do. I think it's almost maybe a fair comparison to sort of say he's almost like, um, Javon Pickett to Conzo Martin. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, he's that kind of talisman for, for the coach. He is, he is sort of, you know, what Dennis Gates would be on the floor in that sort of sense. Yeah. Um, the other commitment, uh, Noah Carter, um, probably a little bit more heralded of a pickup. I would say he was a 15 and a half points per game score at, uh, Northern Iowa last year in the MVC second team all conference um, wasn't particularly great at shooting the ball uh, from the outside. He only hit about 30% of his threes, uh, but a guy who is able to create contact at the free throw line a lot. Uh, he does, you know, score the ball pretty well inside the arc um, and had a pretty efficient rating because of it. I think it was about, you know, one ten. Uh, efficiency rating so um go with maybe some limited mobility but uh enough of sort of shot making on offense where i think if you're especially the way gates has sort of adopted like a nine or ten man rotation consistently he's a guy that can really kind of help you out um and and you know be a good piece off the bench or as a you know secondary scorer uh if he ends up starting yeah i think he I agreed with what Sam Vecini wrote, which I think if if the defensive piece comes along, I think he's a starter for you. And the one thing I would 
I'd say is I that'll be interesting to see is how his scoring against Link translates. Um, granted, the games I watched were late in the year. I think by and we know by that time of the year, it's conference opponents and the book is out on you, especially if you've been around the conference for a couple of years. So teams kind of sat on some tendencies for how he wants to play. Uh, in the post in terms of how he wants to play if he's, you know, attacking, you know, if he does get a spot up. I think teams had figured him out a little bit. I think what impressed me about him is that, you know, there's the wonky term that, like, basketball people use, that he's a connector piece. You know, he can run dribble handoffs if you have him, you know, pick and roll. You can hit him as a roller, and he can short roll and make reads and find cutters. You know, he's really, you know, kind of comfortable playing at the elbow, whether that's handing off or receiving a handoff. He can just sort of be that piece that moves your offense fluidly. And because he is 6'6", you can get, and teams switch so much, you can get some bully ball post-ups where he can, where he can really use his size and his space to carve out room and, and sort of operate and, and get advantageous post-ups. But he's also a guy who, if you don't have like an elite level big that can slide their feet and he gets a handoff or he gets a, you know, a spot up, he can drive the ball and, and play a little bit out of that. So, and I think of the things that I, if you watch how Northern Illinois plays, he's the guy that inverts the floor for them. He's the guy that sort of lifts that defense. He's the guy that sort of moves between actions, but if he gets a mismatch or he gets a situation, he's really smart at recognizing when to go work and when to attack. So I think that's what I like about Carter is not necessarily always the scoring level. I just feel like if Dennis Gates is going to play the way I think he wants to play, Carter's got the kind of IQ and recognition and sort of just you know skills to sort of make the offense move more fluidly. I think that's one thing you and I can both agree. Even when Missouri pivoted last year, they just didn't have guys who are used to playing in that way. It didn't look smooth. It didn't look crisp. I think even if like people have questions about Gamillion or Carter's physical skill sets, they understand how to play in the way and do the things that sort of keep the offense moving, keep it seamless and get between actions and put that defense under stress, you know, with, with the movement in terms of what the actions are designed to do. So I kind of like the pickups from that sense. And if Carter can figure out how to, you know, handle himself, if teams are going to attack him in switches or if he does have to get bodied up on a big, then I think he's a guy who can become a starter for you because there's a lot of things he does outside of scoring that I think have some value for a, for a team like what Missouri's going to try and play like. So the issue becomes that there is one more scholarship available if you're going by... You can make who, room! <laughs> ...who is currently in the transfer portal or has committed to another school away from Missouri and who is uh, committed to Mizzou. Um, right now, this is how the the current setup looks. It is a senior class of Kobe Brown, uh, Jerron Boogie Coleman, Amari Davis, DeAndre Golston, uh, Trey Gamillion, a junior class of Noah Carter and Ronnie DeGray, a sophomore class of Caleb Brown, Muhammad Diara, Yaya Keita, and a freshman class of Christian Jones and Aiden Shaw. That leaves one scholarship available. Realistically, Matt, um, I don't think we have seen the end of exits from the Missouri roster. Um, I think there's also still some people who want to know, like, because we have not heard anything from Christian Jones, if Christian Jones is still 
a part of the plans. Um, but, uh, so you're looking at pretty much Kobe and Caleb Brown, Jerron Coleman, Amari Davis, uh, Ronnie DeGray, Yaakeda, uh, as all people who could potentially exit this roster, making room for um, some other uh, guys that have already been on campus. Uh, you know, like we just mentioned, Dylan Penn was on campus this uh, last weekend. Uh, he is a nice looking sort of point guard, combo guard prospect uh, out of Bel Armin, a guy that uh, we've seen the tape on and we both like. Um, I think that if he wants to commit, I think you take his commitment. Uh, if Sean East is a guy that uh, we've talked about and you know played at Johnny Logan and and Bradley and UMass and he's he's had quite a quite a trip. Um, but he's a guy who a lot of people sort of think is is going to land at Missouri. Maybe by the time that you're listening to this podcast, it's possible he is committed. Um, so that's two. Uh, then there's um, uh, the shooter. What's his name? Jason Roche, I think. I'm going to say Roche. Is how I'm gonna, Roche. That's how I'm going to do it. Um, R-O-C-H-E. Mm-hmm. I have not heard it pronounced audibly, so I don't know if that's exactly uh, how I apologize to Jason if I've, if I've utterly butchered his name. I apologize. Well, he's certainly not going to tweet about it. I kind of don't want him to tweet a commitment. I just want him to keep that at zero. I love that 36 followers, zero tweets. I love it. I just want Jason to, to keep that going in perpetuity. Um, You can't omit Demoy Hodge, a combo guard slash wing out of Cleveland State, um, who visited last weekend. Interesting what's going to happen there. Um, Connor Turnbull is another uh, possibility. Yeah, he'll be visiting later this week. Um, and and a couple other stops. Uh, the only ones that I think are kind of maybe on the periphery are are scary Terry Roberts, who has uh, who's a point guard out of uh, Bradley. He has Missouri among his finalists, but he has not visited. And then there is Nick Honor, a transfer out of Clemson, who has Missouri in his finalists with SMU and Minnesota, um, but has not visited. So if they haven't been on campus before the you know, and when the final list came out, I'm I'm a little skeptical. I put more stock in they've been on campus and, and visited, and um, just from what I've heard about, you know, Connor Turnbull's situation, I feel better about that one. Plus, he's going to be on campus this week, so realistically, we're looking at about five names for one spot. <laughs> um, so and you and we can assume one of that spot is going to be for a point guard. So if you want to do any other movement, um. Some people got to leave. You don't have to go home, but they don't have, but they can't stay here. (laughs) Is how that is how that's got to work. So it'll be interesting what happens there. Um, I'll be frank; I don't think there's anybody on the roster that's untouchable. Just said that at the end of the season, and I'll reiterate it now. Um, There's next year is not about the record for me. It is about are you establishing the way you want to play in the culture that's going to define your program. That's it. If it's 15 wins, great. If it's 20 wins, even better. But it, it next year is in service of getting the right foundation in place. And, you know, if, if you've got to bring guys in or guys have to move on, so be it. But there's, there is nobody 
uh, coming back who is untouchable on this roster. Yeah, I, I think we're at a point where uh, it's assumed that there's going to be more exits. Uh, I think, like, so if I set the over-under at two and a half on how many uh, players from last year um, are on the roster next year, are you, are you going to take the over or the under? Just slightly the under at two. You think two? Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna be conservative and, and go with two. Yeah, and like that's the reality is you know like you change your coach and there's what did I say six six guys, Browns, uh, Coleman Davis, Gray, Gray, Kata. and and Kata. So that's yeah, that's six. So six. So you're basically saying that it's probably likely that we'll see at least four of those guys uh, go into the portal. Um, I think two will go into the portal. I, I I can make an argument for some more than others. I won't because it's not my place to push guys out, but people can look at the depth chart and sort of, and can sort of look at and sort of do the inference as to, you know, what the situation looks like here. Uh, at a minimum you need one more point guard so if you're going to do any other sort of remodeling work you know do you do you want that to be at the front court spot do you want to try and go get another wing you know right now Missouri is heavily heavily laden at the point guard position I, I think you could do I think you could move one more guy out and have two spots open and feel pretty good about the rot and feel like there's enough new blood in here and the guys coming back can sort of be valuable and sort of fit into a 10 man rotation. But again, so just so we're, just so we're clear, like my over under was how many guys are going to remain on the roster. Oh, okay. My, then I have four. I'll go, so you, I'll go the over on that. I'll take so you're going to go the over. Yeah. All right. I, I'll take the under. What the hell? Um, I, I like, I just, the, the way that they're recruiting and, and some of the things that we've sort of heard about, like their approach and what some of the things they're kind of hoping might happen. Um, yeah, I, I think it's probably more than less. Um, and like I said, I, I don't, at this point, I don't know if it's going to be anybody, um, you know, like maybe it's just that, you know, Christian Jones asks out. And so that's that's one spot. So that's te- technically not somebody who's going to be in the portal. But uh, if if Jones is out of the equation, then you have you have two scholarships to, to play with. Um, and so, like, I do sort of wonder. I mean, it, it is possible at this point that one of the reasons we haven't heard anything, you know, from like Dylan Penn is that he's sort of like he knows that. Maybe it's uh, Sean East is, is planning on being committed and that's going to take up the last scholarship. And Missouri wants to make sure that they've sort of cleared some space before Penn can make his commitment. Um, you know, maybe the same thing with a guy like Hodge. Boy Hodge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like uh, I think, I think Hodge, it seems like it's down to pretty much Missouri and Kansas state. Um, anybody maybe doesn't know Hodge is a, uh, 
an Islander. So he's from the Caribbean and he played, um, he played for drum tang. Who's also from the British Virgin islands. They're both from the BBI. So is it British Virgin? I thought one of them was like Trinidad and Tobago. Maybe I, I swear they were both from, from there, but there, there's that connection. Um, I think I can't remember when he was supposed to visit Kansas state, but he's visiting Kansas state. So those seem to be the two front runners there. Um, but he did visit Columbia and left without committing. So uh, Trey Gamillion did not waste time. So mild intrigue there as to whether Hodge would uh, want to head west to Manhattan. But I like Dylan Penn a lot. I think he he sort of makes sense uh, for how you know Dennis Gates might want to play. But Demoy Hodge is also a guy who sort of you know found a niche within that system. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about Roche, you know, as a guy who can kind of do one thing, but there are a lot of other questions outside of that one thing he does well. And, you know, I, Connor Turnbull's, you know, composite rating isn't going to, you know, knock anybody over, but I think he fits a lot of what, you know, Dennis Gates has sought in bigs. So I think you can make a scheme fit argument there. And, you know, realistically, I don't mind you know, taking a bet on a four-year guy and seeing what happens and seeing if you can develop him and what's going to get there, especially if he's comfortable doing the things that your system already demands, um, then I think that that's a reasonable bet to play. So there's probably four names on this list that you'd feel good about. <laughs> I think the only ones I wouldn't, four out of the seven guys are, are probably ones that you would think could find a home here. So if you want to take all of them, then yeah, they've got to, they've got to do some some more spring cleaning. So I, I pulled it up because I was curious. Uh, yeah, Jerome Tang was born in San Fernando, Trinidad, and nice, Tobago. Nice. Uh, he moved to St. Croix in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Okay, that's that's um, where it is. Yeah. So, so we both get half credit for that answer. One <laughs> of one of the Virgin Islands. The coaching bracket uh, comes through again. <laughs> those 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 islands down there um, sounds like a nice place to visit. Uh, but yeah, so that's the connection to to Hodge and um, and Demoy is a guy who I I you know I think I think Gates would like to have both him and Gumillion sort of here next year and and helping kind of set that tone. Um, we'll see if it happens. Yeah, this is. Uh, I'm really sort of curious what the final roster looks like. I'm sure everybody is, but just how many spots do they want to have? You know, available in 23. Right now they have five. Um, that's not a huge signing class, especially if you're going to look at the JUCO ranks in the transfer portal. Five vacancies in a recruiting class is not a lot. But if you're bringing in, you know, Sean East, he's got two years, so that's okay. But if you brought in Des Moines Hodge, you're looking at half your roster turning over next year. Um, now, if your guys are doing what they're supposed to and you're going to get four commits in, you know, the 23 class who are prep guys and you're going to go get a Juco kid and, you know, some transfers in the spring, you can make it work. So I think that's sort of the question that I sort of have is how much are they, you know, trying to bring in guys, you know, to sort of ease, you know, make this year sort of as stable a transition year as possible versus bringing in some developmental talent that they feel like they want to try and, make a long-term investment in. So that that's a minor thing at this point, but we'll, we'll see kind of how that all shakes out. 
Yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be an interesting couple of weeks. I think. Like, I, I I don't think this is something that's gonna drag out for very much longer. Um, like I said, we we feel pretty good that we'll hear some news on on Sean East here soon. Um, and technically, that takes up the last scholarship. So something is gonna have to shake loose here if more moves are gonna be made. Uh, along with some staffing announcements, like I I feel like we'll probably my guess is uh, you know and this is sort of just spitballing but i'm guessing that they're probably going to wait on announcing anything with smith peters until east is on board um mainly because it might just seem a little tacky to be like hey like we hired east's juco coach to get sean east and i don't really think that's the case like i feel like those deals were separate uh, and I think Gates kind of wants to make sure that that was separate. Um, I think you you got to have staff. I think you'd want to have another coach in place because next week is another live period. So there, I think you want to ha- try and have two guys out on the road. You've put out 23 and 24 offers. You'd probably want to have a couple guys out with you just putting eyes on guys and making sure your logo is seen courtside and that, you know, you're doing uh, – you're making the rounds. You're having guys congratulate you and pat you on the back for the new polo that you're wearing and the deal that you signed. So I would imagine that they would at least want to get one of the other on-court spots finalized um, within the next week just so they could begin to shift fully into the live period mode in April, May, and, and then be ready for July. So that's I think you're you're going to want to see one of the spots filled. So uh, Dennis Quaid, uh, Gates is seeking... Um, retweets on his tweet from tonight uh, of, I don't know, did you see the video of uh, J.J. Hester? I did. On his, like, that double pump Bounce. reverse dunk? He looked, looked pretty good. <laughs> um, so if you're, at, if you have a Twitter account, go and retweet this. Can he snake um, a ball screen? That's my question. Can J.J. Yeah, we, can J.J. do I'm just that? Kinda, I'm just kind of curious because, like, I, I feel like Mizzou Twitter gets, um, a little bit of a bad rep for just not being as strong online as maybe some other uh, larger schools. So I'm saying that we need to show out um, we are Mizzou Twitter. And that includes like if you're a Mizzou uh, journalist listening to this podcast and and you don't often tweet about Mizzou sports, go find that tweet from Dennis Gates and give it a retweet. I mean, what's it going to hurt? You could, you could, if it, if you need to, you can put retweets or not endorsements in your bio. But let's get that to ten thousand. Like I'm just kind of curious to see like how close we get. I really don't think it'll get to ten thousand, but I'm curious to see. It's at like six hundred and thirty-four right now. Um, Only six yeah, percent of the way there. Six yeah. percent of the way there. Not not quite not quite ready. Um, but we've got time to grow that audience, and uh, and and Dennis, I think taking to Twitter and and doing like the the drinkwits thing can't hurt. Um, you got anything else you want to touch on? I feel like we we've we've touched on all the the, the bases that we talked about beforehand that we wanted to get to. No, it's just it 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 feels like you're just trying to put things in as much of a context as you can as as this unfolds here. I. I do. I would just encourage people to like hold off from rendering 
any sort of judgment about what the roster is looking like before it gets completed. Um, this is yeah, it's, it looks a little rough right now. Like I'm not gonna lie, it's it's a little rough. It look, it's some... yeah, but it's a coaching change, and this is right. what happens. And it, Rotor... like if you're looking at the depth chart right now and wondering like what the who's hell the ball handler, like who's the shooter, like let's just let's wait, let's take a breath, let's let's see what else is going to happen. Uh, the roster may not be finalized until like you know another four to six weeks um uh, and and we'll we'll take a look then we'll see how it is uh and then and then we'll make some some you know pre ordained <laughs> decisions on what this team is gonna look like and hopefully we'll uh be somewhat accurate by the time the season rolls around just the one thing I will say is if you watch the guys that they're recruiting and you watch Cleveland state, like there's a thesis for how these guys fit there's like you can, for how Dennis Gates maybe wants to play and for what these guys can do. And, and I do think people were sort of valid in saying last year about, you know, the way the sort of roster reconstruction was handled was all. And we said it as well in a vacuum. Each of those pieces was okay, but they didn't necessarily fit a cohesive, you know, whole at all or, or in a way that was sort of natural. I think you can, this team may not, you know, have the kind of star power or sort of composite ratings people want, but I think if, if they get some guys that, you know, we think they're after, you can at least see an idea as to how Dennis wants to play. And I think that's important. I think next year, again, People will kill me for saying the record shouldn't matter, but is Dennis establishing the way he wants to play? Is he establishing the idea of what Mizzou basketball is going to look like? Is he establishing the culture for which that's going to take place? That's important. I think that has value. And so if the record or if the roster isn't quite what people want, but it's serving that end goal of, you know, ingraining a culture, ingraining a playing style, then I think that there's value in this roster if it's if it's achieving that goal. Um, it may not be fun to watch if at times if you know if it doesn't come together, you know, with some of the higher end pieces that people maybe would have wanted. But again, you know what what's the idea of Missouri basketball? What's the culture in which that's going to take place? If those two things are are served by this roster, kind of overhaul then then I think it's been productive. So that's that's my only you know bit of waxing poetic about what they're trying to do. Matt, you're going to have plenty of off-season to wax poetic about uh what they're trying to do. Um we're going to I mean we're going to have to talk about a lot of this cuz there's going to be a lot that's that's going to go on especially over like the next few weeks and then you have to sort of piece everything together uh over the summer uh and on top of that, like we're also having to learn a, a brand new coach and a new staff and how they recruit. Like that's one of the things that like it's easy right now. You're seeing, uh, you know, a lot of guys tweeting out offers from Mizzou, and you're like, oh man, this is great. It's a bunch of five stars, and it's like, well, yeah, like if you want to be in the game at all with a five star, you have to get that offer in early, and then you just sort of see where you are. After a while, see if the kid's still interested to 
even tell if you can be in the picture. Um, you know, and, and beyond that, though, like Missouri needs to start formulating what their plan B is and what their plan C is. And I think like that's one of the things that I think we're going to have to learn about Coach Gates and how they're going to approach, you know, the sense of roster building. Um, you know, I think we did a good job for the most part of figuring out, you know, Martin and and sort of what he was looking for, what he was trying to get. And uh, he was, you know, a much more difficult you know, coach to follow recruiting, but at the same time, like he wasn't spreading a bunch of offers out. So yeah, they were uh, going north of like 30 in the class. So. Yeah. And they identified their, you could figure out the rhythms of what they did pretty early on. You could, you could figure out who the top six or seven were pretty, pretty easily. Yeah. Pretty quick. Yeah. It, it'll be interesting how the priority order happens here. And the one thing that we've talked about a lot earlier is, the JUCO ranks, how do JUCOs fit into that? You know, where, when do they prioritize those guys? When do they not, you know, what are they going to try and do in the portal? You know, I think, you know, Martin had sort of, he had not sent out a lot of 23 offers even before the season started. He was behind pace in terms of offering guys in 23. And it looked like they were really legitimately doing what he said he was going to do last year, which is really kind of, turn more to the portal they were not i think they had less than 12 offers out in 23 you know dennis gates has already got four out in a week so it'll be interesting to see how much more active this staff will be and the other thing is they're they're a little bit behind the eight ball 23 kids you know could have been offered a year ago last june so they're going to be playing a little bit of catch up in 23 so it'll be and they're probably looking more at guys that are going to be like rising. Yeah. Um, the 24 like, class is where I would look for, for them to try and do a lot, a lot more work. And I'll put it that way. 24 seems like the class that I would want to judge them on because that'll be a full cycle. Those kids. I was trying to think of the, the, um, the kid from California, um, AJ Johnson? No, that's he's twenty three. Yeah, uh, so he's like the the you know big guard, right? Yeah, AJ Johnson, uh, out in California. Um, yeah, so he's he's a guy that I think because he's um, he's blooming right now. So he's a guy that I think you can kind of get on right now versus the guys who have been you know top fifteen the last three years. Um, you know, so you can get in a guy who is maybe in the 150 range, and now he's sort of ascending the charts. Um, well, I mean, like I, those are the kinds of guys that I think you can kind of get on and 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 see them maybe end up kind of in that you know Aiden Shaw, you know Terrace Reed kind of range. Um, but we'll we'll have plenty of time to talk about that. In the meantime, um, we are back to biweekly, uh, so. In two weeks, we'll be back. We'll see where we are. I'm assuming there will be some more roster movement. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about any coaching uh, moves that have been made. Um, and uh, if you have any questions, feel free like at any point to say, like, yeah, you can save this for the pod or whatever. Uh, tweet at Matt. Tweet at me. Tweet at Levi. Uh, you can follow us all on the Twitter sphere. If you are on the Twitter sphere, make sure you go retweet that, that Dennis Gates tweet. Let's get that thing up as uh if it gets to 10,000, great. If not, let's just get close. Um, we good? Yep. You good? I'm all good. 
All right. Uh, let's uh, let's wrap this up. Let's get out of here, and we will talk to you all again in two weeks. Thanks for tuning in.